You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, June 17th, 2022. This is episode number 304. I'm Susan Sores, the founder and producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's favorite grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. And please support our show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Today we're talking about a pro-legalization GOP congresswoman wins her primary. California adding yet more warnings for labeling. Odor enforcement coming to a city near you. Bud for blood. The Cannabis Buyers Club documentary. New cannabis lounges and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me, I just smoked some weed. <laughs> if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. I couldn't do it without you, Rico. Thank you so much for being here for me. Uh, we love you, Nanograms. You got to take care of yourself, too. Glad to have you back. All right, so my story this morning comes from Kyle Yeager over at um, MJ Moment. A pro-legalization GOP congresswoman prevails in her primary victory over being after being attacked over marijuana. Pro-cannabis South Carolina Repancy Mace, author of the State's Reform Act to End Prohibition, easily won her primary re-election challenge Tuesday in what may have been what may have flown under most radars is the cannabis industry's most consequential race to date. But the victory Mace also beat out a recently formed anti-legalization pact to push her out of Congress and has effectively positioned herself as the de facto leader of comprehensive bipartisan policy change, with many experts calling for the Republicans to take back the House majority in November's midterms. It should also be noted her defeated opponent, Katie Arrington, was yet another failed candidate endorsed by former uh, President Donald Trump and made waves during the campaign, accusing the freshman congresswoman of being high for focusing on cannabis reform and even challenging Mace at one point to take a drug test. Even her home state Republican Party came out against her legalization proposal following its introduction, so you know she's going to have a few axes to grind at least. 
per the article. Industry advocates were widely pleased with the outcome, keeping intact a, a key GOP player in the push for bipartisan reform, as Democratic-led legalization bills so far have proven to be nothing more than vaporware. Mace's SRA shares bits and pieces of the bills both House and Senate leadership have enacted over the years with a touch of social equity and small business assistance in removing cannabis from the listed uh, prohibited drugs under the Controlled Substance Act. But most importantly, as I reported months ago, uh, as an indicator, she'd most likely win despite the obvious emotional headwinds everybody else focused on because she's backed by Amazon and Coke Industries. Follow the money, people. It'll be interesting to see how many or see how she moves going forward and how folks on both sides of the aisle respond. Get your popcorn ready. The summer of Nancy Mace has begun. This is Rico Lamite, dopest dad in these streets for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts on Nancy Mace. Quite possibly very soon, our first U.S. cannabis czar. Ch- well, I have a comment. I mean, challenging her to take a drug test. I'd like to have all politicians have random drug tests. My experience with them, there's some drugs going on, for sure. Madison Cawthorn. <laughs> Check. The They're never going to vote for that. I. They're never going to vote I, for that. I know Jason Beck loves Nancy Mace. I don't understand where the love is coming from uh, for this member. And I don't have problems with Nancy, but I have a problem that she hasn't picked up a single co-sponsor on her bill since it was introduced back in November. If she really cares, if she's really trying to do something, she should wait, She should make some damn effort. Well, 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 I have to say this. I wasn't going to list you in the story, uh, Gretchen, but you were the one saying Nancy Mace was not going to make it past uh, this race. And she was and she was not endorsed by Donald Trump. And that's probably why she couldn't pick up any co-sponsors, because she was against Donald Trump. So I think there's a, a, a big opposition to Donald Trump and his fucked up ways. And it's only going to get worse with more of these you January 6th. think 6. she picked yep. up zero co-sponsors for her wonderful cannabis bill? They're going to be on board Trump. now. The people okay. don't like losing. That's a pipe dream. Rico, that's a pipe dream. People don't like losing. That is a pipe dream. And congratulations, Nancy Mace, on your victory. I know there was a lot of naysayers in the room that were counting you out. Gretchen. But you came through like the champion that we know that you are. She is definitely a cannabis champion. She's one of the only Republicans that's introduced cannabis legislation. I mean, come on now. You know, the only other one is Dave Joyce. Let's let Let's keep this... You know what I'm saying? Keep this train rolling. Congratulations, Nancy Mace. And President Trump even put out a a tweet or whatever the fuck they're called on this fucking platform congratulating Nancy Mace and offering an olive branch. Oh, hold up. Hold up. Whatever the fuck they're called on this platform. You were you were backing up that bullshit true social platform when I was talking shit about it a couple months ago, too, man. I'm 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 bringing all y'all Republicans holding (laughs) all y'all Y'all motherfuckers, y'all ain't shit. Like, come on. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. I couldn't remember what it was called. Come on. Social. Oh, yeah, of course I should have known. It's, okay, time out, time out, time out. So, so my question is, though, is she a true champion for cannabis or is she a true champion for the money? She's a true champion um, for cannabis. Okay. She's a true the champion for, for, for cannabis. Okay. The, the, you guys, uh, we, we don't have enough time for me to go into all the details on all of this story for you guys. Uh, well, yeah, let's have a little more of those details. How, how true is she, Jason? Mm-hmm. How I, I much think truth? that Nancy is on board when it comes to certain issues. I think she's taking a very Republican stance to it, trying to provide cannabis for veterans, looking at very low taxes, making this a state's rights issue. But if you look at the legalization bill that she has proposed, it offers nothing. 
to the left side of the aisle, including well, well, she, nothing. She, she Rico, let me finish, Rico. I'm speaking. Okay. Um, all right. All right. She, and this, I asked Nancy Mace about before how she intends to get the left side of the aisle on board with zero being done for the social equity or expungement side of things in this industry. And she said she would leave it up to the states to deal with. That's one approach to take. I think it's going to get her zero sponsors on the Democratic side. Um, and I think that's why her bill will not go anywhere. Not because Nancy sucks, but because Nancy is taking way too conservative of an approach to trying to get this done. I disagree because she is going to be leading the Republican voice and the Republicans are going to be leading in both houses um, going forward uh, with this big red wave coming. And Nancy Mace, 100 percent, is the person to watch. And, why do you, and all of the bills, why do you and whatever, think? whatever gets. Hold on. I let you finish. I let you finish. And, and whatever gets put into her bills, everybody needs to be watching very, very, very closely because she is going to be leading the charge and her voice is going to be the one that's going to be heard more than anybody else going forward. Period. I, Full I, period. Stop. I love that you think some some freshman congressman is going to be leading the charge. But Dave Joyce has actually gotten some shit passed and has actually done some things. I don't know why everybody ignores and forgets about good old Dave Joyce, who is one of the uh, Republican co-sponsors of the Cannabis Caucus, a group that Nancy is alienating and refusing to join. Well, I think she, it, I think Dave is willing to work across the fucking aisle. Nancy has not done that. And I'm sorry, but you need both sides both sides of the aisle to get shit done. I don't because care how much fucking money she's been stolen. She's been stonewalled by her own party. Number one, which is not going to happen going forward, and number two, she's not a freshman anymore. She got the clout, and she just won her reelection. So you need she, to she listen won to her Nancy. primary. We'll see. <laughs> we yeah, she's, she's definitely going to win her election. She's definitely going to win reelection. That's that's pretty much a no brainer. Congratulations, Nancy Mace. Yeah. Thank you for leading this charge. Yep. Yeah, I want to hear from Jennifer Kovacs. She is a doctor of pharmacy and owner of Healing Leaf Health and Wellness. Jennifer, what do you think? So uh, as a South Carolinian that actually testified in front of the 3M committee in South Carolina when it got shot down this year, um, I hope that Nancy Mace, I mean, I'm a fan, but I hope she focuses also on our home state. So Tom Davis is actually the Democratic representative from the low country that has been pushing this bill. It'll be nine years now because it didn't pass this year. This was year eight. I have Zoom called with senators. I have worked with MPP. You know, we've had patients. Um, if any of you know about the South Carolina Compassionate Care Alliance or Jill Swing, I mean, her daughter is, she went to the house. She's there at every single every single thing at the state house in Columbia about this. Um, I'm fortunate that they let you zoom in now and do it. But I mean, we've had these conversations with SC normal with MPP and it's still, they, you know, it's not packed because they still think it's like Sodom and Gomorrah and, and they keep saying it's a slippery slope and we're worried and all this stuff. Well, she needs to back Tom Davis because he has written the most conservative medical bill in the entire country. The bill now sucks as a result. There's no home grow. There's no. Um, there's no flower. There's like so. Jennifer, many Je Jennifer, what, what, what would you what, what would you ask her to do? Because she is a federal elected, not a state elected. She can still throw her support as a South Carolinian behind Tom Davis, and as a Republican, say, look, this is a nonpartisan issue. We need to move forward. South Carolina has a lot of dinosaurs in the state house and our governor McMaster, there is a, there is a candidate democratic candidate running against him, um, Cunningham, who is pro cannabis. So of course we're all trying to, you know, cause McMaster's election is this 
fall as well. So hopefully his butt will get voted out and we'll have somebody who's pro cannabis as running as governor, but she should be throwing her support behind the person who for the past eight years, which was a democratic sponsored bill. And there's like eight other um, people that have, you know, on sponsored the bill with him, um, you know, just to support it. And I don't hear her saying that. Well, nonetheless, Nancy Mace is a champion. And I think it's important to note to all Republican lawmakers out there that taking a pro-cannabis stance doesn't mean death in your district. This is truly a test case. Not only did Trump not back her, but she was also uh, uh, villainized for for introducing this cannabis bill and was tried to, to be ousted in South Carolina. But yet the voters of her district in South Carolina stood strong and hood and towed the line. So congratulations to South Carolina and congratulations to every voter that voted for Nancy Mason, Republicans. This is a trend you need to take note. I'm with, I'm with Jennifer. I would like to see Nancy Mace do a little fucking more if she is really this amazing champion of cannabis that you all think she is. I can't wait to see what she does, but it ain't going to be anything great for this industry. I guarantee you her bill will die. She has no support. That bill is going to go through, Gretchen. There is going to be so much support coming up this next Congress when we have this big red wave. Just watch out. And I'm no longer going to be taking political recommendations from Gretchen. <laughs> let's keep this. Let's keep this party going. So he's the private jet hopping, longest continuously operating retailer in the industry with an affinity for the best weed in the world and an identification and eradication of booth worldwide. Catch him in WeHo as the president of cannabis tourism or downtown L.A. making deals at Green Street. But chances are you will not find him supporting Donald J. Trump's fledgling social media platform. Truth Social. Jason Beck, you better download that shit before your Mar-a-Lago pass gets revoked. What you got for us today? <laughs> oh, yeah. Good morning. Happy Friday, everybody. Today, my story, I'm just going to let you know there's a trigger warnings for lots of prohibitionist talk and reefer madness and all that bullshit that's involved with all of that. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to offer a little bit of commentary as we scroll through this article. But in California may require labels on pop products to warn of mental health risks. Liz Kit Carnegie's grandson was top of his class in high school and a talented jazz bassist when he started smoking weed. The more serious he got about music, the more serious he got about cannabis. And the more serious he got about the cannabis, the more he became paranoid, even psychotic. He started hearing voices. They are going to kill me. And, and there, there are people, they're coming to eat his brain. Weird, weird stuff, Kirkardi says. I woke up one morning and no Corey anywhere. Well, it turns out he'd been running down the villa lane here totally naked. That to me sounds more like an acid trip, more than uh, smoking weed, but nonetheless. Corey came to live with his grandfather for a couple of years in Napa, California. She thought maybe she could help. Now she says that was naive. Corey was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Kikardi blames the pot. The drug use activated the psychosis is what I really think, she says. Indeed, many scientific studies have linked marijuana to the use of increased risk of developing psychiatric disorders, including schizophrenia. The risk is more than four times greater for people who use high-potency marijuana on a daily basis. Now, what the fucking definition of high-potency is, I'm really confused. Does it start at 20%, 19%, 15%? Compared with those who have never heard, according to a study published by the Lancet Psychiatry in 2019, 
One study found it eliminating cannabis use in adolescents would reduce global rates of schizophrenia by 10%. Doctors and lawmakers in California want cannabis producers to warn consumers of this and other health risks on their packaging labels and advertising, similar to requirements for cigarettes. They also want sellers to distribute health brochures to first-time customers outlining the risks of cannabis poses to use drivers and those who are pregnant, especially for pot that has high concentrates of THC, the chemical primary responsible for cannabis's mental effects. This is absolutely ridiculous to me personally. Today's turbocharged products are, are torch-banging the arms harms associated with cannabis, says Dr. Lynn Silver, with the Public Health Institute, a nonprofit sponsoring the proposed labeling legislation. Everyone get your pens out. SB 1097 is what you want to call your lawmakers in California and tell them to veto this bill. Don't even let it don't even let it go for a vote. It's that stupid. The Cannabis Right to Know Act. Californians voted to legalize adult use cannabis in 2016 and three years later, emergency room visits for cannabis induced psychosis went up. 54% across the state from 682 to 1053, according to state hospital data. For people who already have a psych psychotic disorder, cannabis makes things worse, leading to more ER visits, more hospitalizations, and more legal troubles, says Dr. Deepak Shirwal Souza, a psychiatry professor at Yale University School of Medicine, also who serves on the psychiatric advisory board for Connecticut's medical marijuana program. And what I have to say about this doctor is that is a very skewed number because we have no money going into mental health resources for any of these people and we have these uh progressive da's that don't prosecute crime they just let people just run around the streets and do whatever the fuck they want to do but nonetheless but d'souza faces great difficulty convincing his patients of the dangers both my patients with schizophrenia and also adolescents hear very conflicting messages that it is legal in fact there may be medical uses for it he says if there are medical uses, how can we say there's anything wrong with it? Legalization is not the problem, he says, but rather it is the commercialization of cannabis and heavy marketing, which can be geared toward attracting young people to become customers for life and increase THC from 4% on average to between 20% and 35% in today's varietals. Well, 4%, I mean, even the federal government doesn't grow anything stronger than 6%, only because it comes up the rolling machine. So I'm not sure where you're getting this 4% from, doctor. But limiting the amount of THC in products and including health warnings on the labels could help reduce the health harms associated with cannabis use, D'Souza says. The same way those methods worked for cigarettes. He credits warning labels, education campaigns, and marketing restrictions for the sharp drop in smoking rates among kids and teens in the past decade. We know how we know how to me message them, D'Souza says, but I don't think we have have the will or the resources as of yet. Some states, including Colorado, Oregon and New York, have have dabbled with cannabis warning label requirements. California proposed rules are modeled after comprehensive protocols established in Canada. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We don't need anything from Canada and California. Rotating health warnings would be set against a bright yellow background. Use black 12 point font and take up a third of the package front. The bill suggests language for 10 distinct warnings, including, drumroll please, warning, cannabis use may contribute to mental health problems, including psychiatric disorders such as schizophrenia. Risk is greatest for frequent users and when using products with high THC levels. Second warning, not for kids or teens. Starting cannabis use young or using frequently may lead to problem use and, according to the U.S. Surgeon General, may harm the developing brain. 
third and final warning proposed, do not use if pregnant or breastfeeding substances in cannabis are transferred from the mother to the, to the child and may harm your baby's health, including causing low birth weight. Um, I don't understand how that works. I'd really like to hear what Dr. Felicia has to say about that. Opponents to the proposed warning labels say the requirements are excessive, expensive and excessive, especially since marketing to children is already prohibited in California and people must be 21 to buy. This bill is really duplicate, uh, duplicative and puts unnecessary burdens on the legal cannabis industry as we have already restricted packaging and advertising requirements, says Lindsay Robinson, executive director of the California Cannabis Industry Association, which represents legal cannabis businesses. The state should focus more on combating the illicit pot market rather than further regulating the legal ones, she says. Legal dispensaries are already struggling to keep up with existing rules and taxes. The state's 1,500 licensed pot retailers generated $1.3 billion with a B in state tax revenue last year. Adding more requirements just makes it harder for them to compete with the illicit market, she says, and more likely to go out of business. The only real option <clears throat> if they fail out of legal system is to shutter their businesses altogether or to operate underground. And I don't think the state of California with the tax revenue it wants, wants either of those two things to happen, she says. The heart of the issue is that there's a massive unregulated market in the state. Some people are skeptical the labels will work. Liz, Liz Cardi's grandson, Corey, is stable now, living with his dad, but she's not sure a yellow warning would have stopped him when he was a teen. Well, I'll tell you what, it definitely wouldn't. No one gives a shit about any of those fucking labels. They're just not going to pay attention, she says. But if it helps even one person, great. Scientists still do not know what causes schizophrenia, but they believe multiple factors are at play, including genetics, family history, trauma, and other influences in a person's environment like smoking pot. Some scientists believe having schizophrenia itself is what predisposes people to smoking pot. While it's difficult to prove a direct casual link between cannabis use and schizophrenia, the associations are strong enough to warrant action, says Dr. D'Souza. And importantly, pot use is one of the only risk factors people can control. Not everyone who smokes cigarettes develop lung cancer, and not everyone who has lung cancer smokes cigarettes, he says. But I think we would all agree that one of the most preventable causes of lung cancer is cigarette smoking. Applying the same health education strategies to cannabis that were used for tobacco, he says, is long overdue. Well, I think this doctor is totally out of touch, but nonetheless, I'd love to hear what y'all have to say. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, that 4%, that qualifies as, uh, as hemp in uh, Georgia. That's about it. Well, I want to say, great article, Jason. I want to say I, there is evidence that, um, like, from being at CanMed and taking the practicum, there is evidence that uh, men who, young men who are still developing, their brain's still developing till age 26, um, if they have high doses of cannabinoids early on, like in 15 and other things, that it can potentially, if someone's predisposed to schizophrenia, it can, but the problem is there's a lot of other factors going on in that teen's life, in that person's life, and no matter what you do, I mean, unless it's basically having the regulated system so they can't get it, um, but it's it's probably trying to address these other factors that we're missing out on. But there is some evidence that says this. So you should really, you know, not use high THC cannabis if you're under age 26 and male. Yeah, right. wouldn't it be wild? What's the, what's the definitive number for high wouldn't, THC? Wait, wait, wait. Wouldn't it be wild if cannabis was legal for women before it was for men age-wise? 
<laughs> that would be a great statement. Jason, they say high THC is like, they were saying high THC is above 60%. And that's one of the reasons why there's one state, I think it's Connecticut or Vermont. They, I think it's Vermont. They regulated at 60% the cap for concentrates. High THC definition is 60%. Is that what you're saying, Liz? 60% or above is what they were referencing because that's why the state put that in their law. And I think as we've seen some other senators and other people step up, like when there's one thing that happens, they're going to freak out. They're going to blame cannabis because they don't want to blame anything else. And that's the only other, other thing I was going to say. Like we should really look at where responsibility is being placed here. If, you're, if your child is, is uh, you know, using high, whatever, using this and you don't want them to be, you should address what else is going on. What can you do to help them? I totally agree, Liz. I think people that are predisposed are just predisposed, and weed is not the cause. It may be added on, but it's not the cause. I, right. I, Correlation I hate is to not causation. Yeah. Right, but I, you know, I I hesitate to say this, but I have seen friends that get it, got into dabbing. I have seen personality changes. That's a fact. I mean, not a fact, well, but I've seen that. You mean the because is, they got more relaxed? No, well, no, your no, 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 no. A kind of interesting thing is your brain is, Dr. Tellian probably knows too, but your brain is still developing. So actually when you're a baby, you actually really don't have a highly developed endocannabinoid system. So your brain is still growing. And especially with males, sorry guys, it takes a little longer. So the problem is like you're adding something in that your body may not be able to handle at that point. And um, I just think, you know, it's something we need to pay attention to with a mental illness. But on the other side, cannabis helps so many people get out of their mental illness issues. So, and also we don't have any more room on the labels, but we need to keep moving. We've got some more stories. So let's keep smoking the news. Coming up, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man cave wallpaper. She's an all around data cruncher. That's knowing a thing or two about numbers and shit, an educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the cannabis business council of Santa Barbara County. It's none other than Liz Rogan. Thank you, Jason. Greetings, everyone. Thank goodness it's Friday. And thank you for tuning in to join us today. My story comes from The Canigma by Jessica Riley. And the headline reads, Bud for Blood, the Cannabis Industry Gives Back. I liked this article because I felt like this is something that we often don't realize. And I just wanted to highlight this so we can continue to spread the empathy. Blood donations have declined significantly since the start of the pandemic. Uh, in January, the Red Cross announced they'd have the worst blood shortage in over a decade. And so that shortage means that there's a lot of tough decisions. People who need donations uh, or transfusions can often be stuck without that. And um, so donating blood is like a quick and easy way to make a positive impact in your community. And all kinds of patients need blood from like people with car accidents, surgery, cancer, blood diseases, and much more. So Kristen Yoder, who many of you may know, she's a cannabis industry veteran, uh, and she's also founder of the clothing line Cynical Stoner. She founded Bud for Blood. It's an educational initiative championing blood donations from cannabis users and members of the cannabis industry. So she, Kristen said um, she needed to be the change she desperately wanted to see. So she has deep faith in her fellow stoners and um 
basically, we also just had a news article recently that talked about cannabis and empathy. And um, even though traditionally we thought empathy was an inborn trait, recent studies show that you can teach empathy and cannabis may actually affect or even increase empathy, cannabis use. Um, that's basically because THC can decrease amygdala reactivity to threats and the endocannabinoid system is a key modulator in mood-related processes. And uh, the endocannabinoid system is deeply intertwined with our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, which are involved in fear and memory regulations as well as social behavior. So we know that that affects so many things in our society. So obviously proper dose of, as we mentioned, and the setting for cannabis use is important, but cannabis can help bring that empathy out. So uh, the right dose of cannabis can really have a profound impact on how empathetic you might feel. So uh, we basically, to know, uh, cannabis users can definitely donate blood. They say you shouldn't be high when you give blood, but you can consume it before or after your donation, even if you're donating plasma. Um, for smokers and vapors, they say wait about four hours before donation. Um, and for edibles, eight to 12 hours before donating. Um, so I personally always wondered if like my, you know, THC infused blood was given to anyone and they were able to have any of the benefits in any way. Um, but, uh, I just wanted to highlight this story. If you click on the link, you can see there's all, it's easy. You just reach out, see who is, uh, who you can donate, like reach out to the Red Cross, see basically where you can schedule an appointment, take a picture of that. And then you take a picture of, um, when you're getting your your uh, donation, your blood donation, and then you can get a free t-shirt. So uh, be really cool. I'd love to see more people hopefully do this. I'm Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Yeah, Kristen's a real close friend of mine. I've known her for years in the industry, and I, I just pinged her to see if she'll come in the room uh, with us. Uh, she, she let me know about the initiative when she started uh, building it out, and uh, we're very, very, very proud partners of hers at Cannavision, and I can't wait to see this thing grow. I don't know if she's in the room. Has anybody seen her? Oh, yeah, she's, she's uh, trying to get on stage right now. So, so Liz, do you know if they test for um, opioids or cocaine or alcohol in blood, like when you're donating blood? I mean, I don't want alcohol. I don't want blood that has tobacco in it. Hey. <clears throat> hey, everyone. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Okay, I'm, I never use Clubhouse. This is maybe my second time ever, but thank you so much for covering this topic. And um, to answer your question about alcohol and nicotine, um, they tell you not to drink uh, before you come in for at least 24 hours, but that's because alcohol is out of your blood in 24 hours. They don't ask about nicotine. And I, I don't know, I'm not a blood professional, but I would assume that they would clean blood before there's got to be some sort of sterilization or something. Um, but the main things that they're worried about are like, if you've ever used Accutane, um, if anyone's ever had really bad acne, especially for women, you literally have to take a pregnancy test every month and prove that you're on birth control birth control because it causes severe birth defects. So they're looking for, um, blood diseases and other things that um, could make sick people sicker. But I don't think they don't ask about any drug use other than IV use. But again, that's because of hepatitis and HIV, etc. Um, not the drugs. 
Thank you, Kristen. We've got Etienne Fontana from the audience. Etienne, did you want to weigh in? Uh, yes. As, as, uh, we are proud supporters at the Veterans Action Council of the um, Bud for Blood campaign. Uh, we're also asking for veterans to uh, please, if you have the availability, to go to your local VA or uh, VA outsource center for uh, giving blood. The VA needs blood as well as regular blood people. But uh, there's a shortage across the board, and I want to thank Kristen for uh, making this uh, available for people. And it's the first 100 people who send in their picture will get a T-shirt uh, of some of the sponsors. So thank you, Kristen, and everything that you're doing to help because uh, we don't know who we're helping when we give blood. So please go out and join us. We're doing it until 710. So we look forward to seeing you. Um, one last thing I, I wanted to mention is that um, Sunday is National and World Sickle Cell Awareness Day. And something that I had no idea about, but ethnicity does play a role in transfusion matches. And it's incredibly important that people of color and specifically African-American or of African descent donate blood because people with sickle cell anemia literally live by those transfusions. And if they don't have blood, um, I mean, they can pass away. It's like a matter of life or death. And there's just not enough uh, donors. I mean, there's not enough donors, period, but especially people of color donating. So it's incredibly important um, that people, everybody donates blood um, because it's incredibly needed. So thank you so much for bringing this up. Thank you, Kristen. That's such an important point. You're absolutely right. Thank you for that. Yeah, when I was with Harborside back in 2011, we had Red Cross reach out to us to try to raise awareness. And they actually sent the Red Cross blood bus, which is their mobile um, blood collection unit, uh, to the facility. And we had it was uh, six hours where we had um, patients signing up and we actually had a, um, a competition with Elemental Wellness back then to see who could get the most um, patients to donate blood. So um, it, it has been a big push for a long time to get cannabis users to understand that they are eligible for donations um, because so many people think that they're not. So thank you very much for bringing this story up. We're going to relight the room. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Often the things expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers made no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. In an industry full of negativity littered with folks on both sides of the aisle aiming lower and lower, this Texas dope dad decided he'd be hitting the high road. Repping ATX, he's the, the host and co-creator of the new show with the exact same name in collaboration with Sensi Magazine. And I can't wait to hear what he's got for us today. Stone Slade, what you got for us, my man? Thank you, Rika Lamit. Good to see everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Today, my story comes from the Antelope Valley Press. Apparently, Sweet Mary Jane is causing a funk in California City. On Tuesday, the city council reported that for many months, several residents and other city council members have been complaining about the unpleasant odors coming from the city's several cannabis operations. Council member Karen Macedonio and her fellow council members are pushing for more formal reporting of these violations, as well as stronger enforcement of the rules made for these cannabis businesses. 
Karen said, I want cannabis ordinance compliance. Our citizens were promised that there would be no odor. California City, like all legal cannabis cities, has a cannabis ordinance that governs how the industry functions within the city. Part of that requires odor control devices and techniques on all the cannabis businesses to ensure that the odors from cannabis are not detectable off-site. The ordinance places that responsibility for enforcement with code enforcement, the police and fire departments, building and finance departments. Uh, violating these provisions may be persecuted as a misdemeanor and carry fines of up to $1,000 and up to a year in jail with each day considered a separate offense. City manager Doug Danford informed the council, excuse me, the council, that the process for this is already in place. He went on to say that Complaints need to be reported to the city's code enforcement in order to initiate an investigation and hopefully rectify the problem. Mayor Jeannie O'Laughlin chimed in with, oh, I was, I was happy to know that we already have this in, on the books. That helps us. This will go a long way if court enforcement, code enforcement will start to implement it. So while the mayor's catching up on simple city ordinances, let's get to the bottom of all the complaint calls and apparently that aren't being enforced because, I mean, this means somebody's not doing their job, right? Well, that falls on city, excuse me, Fire Chief Jeremy Kosick, who supervises the city's two code enforcement officers. However, Chief Kosick said that he's received no official complaints regarding cannabis odor. This information stunned the mayor, who backed up the complaint claim, saying, I can tell you how many calls I get about the odor, and added that she tells them to call code enforcement. Chief Kosick said that code enforcement officers will respond as quickly as possible to complaints received during business hours and first thing the next morning for anything received after hours. The city is now looking for options to allow people to be able to go directly to the city's homepage and complain about cannabis odors or other things such as graffiti. After reading this whole thing, you know, I'm still not sure if there actually were complaints about cannabis odor or if these are just some haters led by Councilwoman Karen trying to cause us stink about nothing. If anybody is familiar with the area, I'd love to see what you guys have to say. I'm Stone Slade reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Stone, did you say that this Karen's name was Karen? It is. It actually is Karen. I had to make sure I, I put that in at the, again to make sure everybody caught that Karen is complaining about odors in California City. Did she ask to speak with the manager? <laughs> Karen may be the manager. I don't know. I'm sure she spoke with the city manager of Cal City. The thing is, odor, I'm sure you guys all have the same thing. In Santa Barbara County, it has been our biggest issue. I mean, everyone's just freaked about the smell from wine growers, avocado people, people in the high school think they're getting high. I mean, it's just, this is crazy. I can't wait till we can tamp this down and let them know that terpenes are the smell of money. That's what you had to follow. Well, the funniest thing is, is if you've ever driven past a field of broccoli or cauliflower, you want to talk about a stink. Compared to freaking broccoli or cauliflower, cannabis is very pleasant. What about Gilroy and the garlic? Yeah, Gilroy and the garlic. <laughs> what about no, Gilroy? You know, you know what's the worst? You know, it's the worst, absolute worst, is in Denver, Colorado, the Purina factory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I tell you, oh, so bad. Lubbock, Texas, the slaughterhouse. If you're if you catch the wind the, the wind the wrong way in Lubbock, Texas, it is the worst smell you've ever. And seen. what about what and about Harry's the, Ranch up, on the five? I mean, up the five. Yeah, I mean, that was all you do yeah. is smell cow shit, and yet they allow a restaurant to be right there and a hotel. It's Harris Ranch restaurant and hotel. And it <laughs> smells they like shit. About that. You know so what that I means? There's a whole bunch of because... feces particles floating around in the air. I yep. used to work. I used to work there. It's a pretty nice restaurant. But the beef I used lobby, to think it was good. the beef lobby makes you makes it so nobody nobody even cares about that though. So more money. So basically, their meat is tainted with shit. 
all media is tainted with shit. If it's uh, mass produced, <laughs> just keep oh smoking the God, news. You're literally, you're literally eating shit. I mean, you guys like those two yeah, turds, huh? Hey, mo- hey, motherfuckers don't like the truth. High coliform level in the air. I mean, oh my. Hey, it is what it is. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. Who we got next? All right, coming up next. Political strategist by day and baker by night. A true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm, but also knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider, even though she was wrong about Nancy Mace. Taking off the apron, it's none other than Gretchen Gailey. Now, number one, I don't recall ever saying Mace was going to lose. I said her bill sucked. No, you, 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 oh, you run the tape. We will run the tape. We will run the tape. lose that, that she had a, next, she was getting primaried, but please, next, please go to your story. She did get primaried. And next, uh, I'm going on to my story. White House drug czar says Biden admin is reviewing marijuana policies and safe consumption sites. Uh, the White House drug czar says the Biden administration is, quote, monitoring Uh, states that have legalized marijuana to inform federal policy, recognizing the failures of the current prohibitionist approach. He also said that the federal government is reviewing broader drug policy harm reduction proposals, including the authorization of supervised consumption sites, and going so far as to suggest possible decriminalization. Raul Gupta, director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, made several telling remarks in an interview published on Wednesday by the Financial Times. He said, we're learning from those states uh, that have enacted cannabis reform. We're monitoring the data and trying to see what things go. But one thing is very clear, and the president has been clear about that. The policies that we've had around marijuana have not been working. President Joe Biden campaigned on a cannabis platform of decriminalization, rescheduling, respecting state rights and other modest reforms, though he remains opposed to adult use legalization and has yet to take meaningful action on his prior pledges. In the new interview, Gupta, who previously uh, provided consulting services to a cannabis company prior to serving in the White House, also emphasized that when it comes to broader drug policy, quote, for the first time in history, the federal government is embracing the specific policies of harm reduction. And he specifically argued that people should not be incarcerated, arrested for their drug use. While the news outlet did not publish any additional remarks to flesh out that position from a policy perspective, ending arrest and incarceration for drug use would amount to what advocates describe as decriminalization. In the meantime, among the specific harm reduction policies under review would be to possibly permit safe consumption sites where people could use currently illicit drugs in a medically supervised environment to prevent overdose deaths and help people access treatment resources. While the Biden administration is still investigating the clinical efficacy of such facilities, Gupta said that the proposal to lift the existing federal ban is on the table. The comments also came a week before the Justice Department is due to respond in federal case concerning to the legality of safe consumption sites that was brought about as a challenge to a Philadelphia-based nonprofit. New York City opened the first sanctioned harm reduction centers late last year, and officials have reported uh, uh, positive results in saving lives. The facilities have yet to face a federal challenge like Philadelphia Safe House did under the Trump administration. DOG said in February that is actively, quote, evaluating supervised consumption sites, including discussions with state and local regulators about appropriate guardrails for such sites as part of an overall approach to harm reduction and public safety. Um, I think, frankly, that the folks at Marijuana Moment have read a whole lot into this man's um, very vague 
uh, quotes. I think this is not going to do a thing for cannabis. I think Joe Biden is going to consider monitor, continue monitoring the situation until he goes back to hiding in his basement after he loses re-election. This Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, like, what does it even mean to be reviewing shit? Like, <laughs> what is he not reviewing? It's the weakest of weak sauce with this non-committal, we're reviewing marijuana policy, like not even committing to changing failed prohibition. To me, it's weak sauce, extreme. So what's defined as a safe consumption space? I mean, when they're talking about safe consumption sites, they're also referring to places where uh, people are allowed to use, um, uh, whatchamacallit, needles and all sorts of illicit drugs. This is not just referring to cannabis. This is not like a cannabis social lounge. This is major heavy drugs. They're talking about needle exchanges and methadone clinics and shit like that. Raul kept this very vague and very generic. He, I don't find a place where he actually references cannabis. Um, in in relation to these sites or to decriminalization uh so i think this is a very weak interview and they're getting a little too excited about it so this is nothing more than a puff piece and fake news well i mean they're just starting to review what didn't hasn't they been reviewing it before he was even president and what about when he was in the obama administration they're just now starting to review this that's pitiful i think this story is bullshit let's keep smoking the news this founder of a bi-coastal boutique cannabis law firm is also NCIA director, legal publisher, author, a ganjier, and a purple belt in high-style Brazilian jiu-jitsu, who's been rumored to use his opponent's own weight against them, forcing early tap-outs in the sesh. Omar Figueroa, what you got for us today, my man? Thank you, Rico. Fabulous Friday, everyone. My story is from the Los Angeles Times by Times by Felicia Alvarez, and the headline is Ojai looks to allow new cannabis lounges for on-site consumption. Cannabis lounges where customers could partake on-site may be coming to the small Ventura County town of Ojai, a popular Southern California retreat and vacation destination. The Ojai City Council this week signaled interest in moving forward with a proposal to allow three cannabis dispensaries in the city to open lounges where customers could smoke, vape, or consume edibles. The council originally was considering a policy that would allow only the consumption of edibles in the lounges, per a recommendation from the Ojai Planning Commission. That proposal was rejected Tuesday night, and the council requested additional time to reach out to the city's three dispensaries to get a better idea of what the lounges might look like. They're doing that with an open mind. It could involve edibles, smoking, or vaping, said Robin Godfrey, spokesperson for the city of Ojai. The process is expected to take several months, Godfrey said. The three dispensaries that would be allowed to open lounges are Ojai Greens, Cespe Creek Collective, and Shangri-La Care Centers. Beyond boosting tourism and business, having an on-site lounge would allow for more educational opportunities, said Jeffrey Kroll, the owner of Shangri-La Care Centers. He said his average customer's age is 56, and his clients include first-time cannabis smokers. The advantage of having a group of people consuming on-site is it makes those who have never used cannabis before more comfortable, Kroll said. Chelsea Sutula, the 
owner of Sespe Creek Collective, said she was excited to see little opposition from the council to the plan to add cannabis lounges in the city. We've been trying to get the city to approve this for almost a year, Sutula said. Our biggest constraint here is what real estate is available. Currently, the three dispensaries have been permitted to operate only from an industrial area on the southern end of Ojai. Council members are also considering whether to allow dispensaries to open closer to the city center on East Ojai Avenue. A lot of people are looking for alternatives to bars to socialize in, Sutula said. Ojai has become an increasingly popular destination for Angelinos looking for a date or weekend trip. Tourism remains a hot-button issue, however, with crowds straightening a tight market for hotel rooms and short-term vacation rentals banned by the city. So my take is that Ventura County, which is the most conservative county in Southern California, maybe right next to San Diego County, uh, definitely needs on-site consumption. And I'm glad that the Ojai City uh, Council rejected the narrow-minded proposal to only have edible consumption on site because that's a non-starter. Nobody wants to go sit at a lounge and watch other people eat uh, gummies. Uh, so I don't think that that's going to be a successful model. And their open-mindedness and their ability to expand from the industrial area to the downtown, I think, um, may make Ojai the West Hollywood of Ventura County. And you know, the people of Ventura County deserve a little uh, break. The headline is, Ojai looks to allow new cannabis lounges for on-site consumption. This is Omar Figueroa, lawyer, author, Ganjie instructor, uh, reporting from Sonoma County, the traditional territory of Pomo, Coast Miwok, and Wapo nations for the State of Cannabis News Hour. And I'd love to hear what everybody else thinks about this. More cannabis lounges, please. I think this is great. Great story, Omar. Uh, you highlighted all the stuff really well. Like, wants to sit there and eat gummies and look at each other and wait how long for it to kick in until you can leave. But I do applaud Ojai. They did have these dispensaries ahead of time, and these are local operators who have been here since, like, 2018, I think those people have been in place, if not way, way sooner with the medical market. But I think this is a good step, and hopefully Santa Barbara, other places in Santa Barbara, will follow this lead. Yeah, and hopefully one day it will be uh, possible to travel up the California coast and stopping at cannabis lounges in every county up the coast. I love Ohio. I just like to get high in Ohio. It's the Sebastopol of Ventura County. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty funny, Omar. Coming up next, is it a bird? Is it a plane? No. It's a delivery van with a delivery smoother than DHL and a price point lower than FedEx. That's right. It's Clark Kent Delivery. Coming next to the stage is Christopher Smith. He's the communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. What do you have this morning for us, Clark? Here we go. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks, Rico. Good morning, Jason. Susan, we're thinking about you. Love you so much. All the spice in today's show makes me think that this red wave noise would be adorable if we couldn't watch the evidence of how those fascists tried to destroy my country in January 6th. But hey, you do you, bro. My story today comes from High Times. Cannabis Buyers Club documentary featured at Tribeca Film Festival. Now, trigger warning for the trolls in our basement. There's some language in my story that you're not going to like. So warm up your thumbs, ladies. Here it comes. 
I grew up in a super square Connecticut community where every single person looked like some version of me, different tennis rackets or a number of freckles on our perfect little noses, but pretty much all the same. And in case you think I'm kidding or exaggerating, they filmed the original Stepford Wives in my hometown. Now somehow, in my long meander across the country, I ended up in Los Angeles, part of this great community which fills my heart and keeps my three kids in college, yet their dear, sweet 85-year-old grandmother won't even say the word for what I do for a living. Old habits die hard. So I'm certain that mom won't be going to the New York City, to New York City, to see the new film called Cannabis Buyers Club, which made its premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. Cannabis Buyers Club is the story of a pot of pot dealer, cannabis reform leader, and queer rights activist, Dennis Perone. The synopsis of the film reads, Cannabis Buyers Club chronicles the most important unknown LGBTQ plus rights struggle of the 20th century. When a new disease ravages his community and the government doesn't care, renegade pot dealer Dennis Perone leads a movement to help heal and fight back. Perone, a gay Vietnam vet, builds a pot empire in the middle of the war on drugs and fights politicians and police to save his friends. It's the definitive story of cannabis legalization in America. The true story of Dennis Perone as chronicled in this documentary is that Perone was a, a pacifist, which makes me laugh because he took on the whole world, but during the Vietnam War, he was drafted anyway. And on an R&R &R trip to Thailand, five or six pounds of some of the best cannabis in the world somehow came into his possession. He was assigned to the mailroom after returning to his unit, so he began sending weed back to the United States hidden in cassette tape cases. Stateside, he settled in San Francisco and set up an economic exchange business. Oh, okay, sold pot. His involvement in the community and political activism put Perone at the front of the effort to legalize weed in San Francisco, where he counted Harvey Milk among his many allies. Selling pot from storefronts in the Castro, Perone's will to champion cannabis policy reform was galvanized by the AIDS epidemic, which took the lives of his partner and countless others and left his friends and neighbors wasting away. Cannabis stimulated pa uh, patients' appetites and helped keep them from losing weight, which prolonged their lives. In the early 90s, Perone founded the Cannabis Buyers Club, giving patients and their caregivers a safe place to obtain the medicines they needed. And in 1996, he co-authored Prop 215, the landmark ballot measure that legalized medical use of cannabis in California and started the revolution that continues today. A peaceful revolution, not like Jason's blood red friends did on January 6th, but all the same. These events could only have happened in San Francisco, which stars in the film alongside Dennis and other colorful characters like Brownie Mary, Tony Sarah, Joe Bannon, Greg Corrales, it was the perfect political storm where the AIDS crisis crashed into the drug war and a liberal city fought against a conservative state and won. Precedents were set in justice, the repercussions of which are still felt today, and the new states legalizing cannabis every year. So back in Dennis Perone's day, in my hometown, people would have called him a pacifist, long-haired hippie fag. Maybe now they'll give him the title he deserves, American hero. And I'm done speaking. And I fully agree that Dennis was an American hero. Even after he was famous, he would still um, volunteer to be a pro bono expert witness to debunk inflated yield estimates by narcotics experts. And I remember him 
uh, generously willing to help anybody who got busted in San Francisco and speak out. And often that made uh, the district attorney's office back then led by Kamala Harris to back off and dismiss the case. But he's a true hero, not in for the money, saw the true green. I, I definitely want to check out this documentary um, myself and living through all this. Um, I can't wait to check it out. Congratulations that they made in the Tribeca Film Festival, and I hope they're extremely successful. Yeah, I can't wait to see it either, man. It's going to be dope. On the Film Festival website, it says that they're streaming it, but I clicked on the link and it didn't work, so good luck uh, finding it. I hope it shows up on one of the streaming services real soon so we can all see it easy. Let's keep smoking the news so we can get to the Let's doctor. do it. Up next, he's a real industry OG with a proven track record representing the people with utmost compassion. Coming to the stage next, it's the founder of Medican, co-founder of CESC, nonprofit cannabis research organization, and the man himself, Dr. Jean Talleyrand. Take us home, my man. What you got? Thanks, Rico. Happy Friday, everyone. Dennis Perone was truly the uh, the founder of compassion in this movement. Uh, um, anyway, my headline today is titled Current Evidence on Cannabis Use in Palliative Care by Dr. Sankari Dutta. The article is about a study review by scientists in New Zealand on cannabis and palliative care. The study was published in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management. For those who don't know, palliative care is a medical approach to the end of life. It aims to improve the quality of life of patients and their families facing life-ending illness. Palliative care tries to relieve suffering by identifying and treating pain and other physical, psychosocial, and spiritual issues. This review was of 52 low-quality studies on the use of cannabis for palliative care. A total of 4,786 patients, mostly with cancer, used cannabis toward the end of life. The studies were low-quality because of differences in study populations, types, and dosage of cannabis products used. According to the article, analysis of the data revealed inconsistent results. A study of patients receiving Sativex, an oral spray delivering 2.5 milligrams each of THC and CBD per spray, showed no impact on the quality of life, belief about treatment efficacy, and satisfaction. On the other hand, an open-sourced pilot study showed symptom benefits with both THC and CBD products. Basically, this highlights that limiting the dose of cannabis is not the best approach to palliative care. Overall, the studies demonstrated cancer patients getting relief from pain, nausea, and vomiting while improving their appetite, sleep, and fatigue. Dementia patients also improved their appetite and reduced agitation. AIDS patients improved nausea and vomiting. However, the authors concluded that the inconsistent data did not provide enough evidence for physicians to recommend cannabis or cannabinoid products. Although I'm a big fan of scientific study, I have to say that sometimes the results are not common sense. Gold standard, randomly controlled, double-blind studies might be the wrong approach to studying palliative care. Cannabis is a variable, multi-agent plant. Finding the right cannabis formulation to use in a randomly controlled, double-blind study is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And for what purpose? So that we can identify the magic bullet product for patent and profit? Meanwhile, someone is dying. California's Compassionate Use Act was intended to show compassion for the suffering patient. The root of palliative care 
comes from religion, where death is seen as a family and community event rather than a medical event. Death itself is seen as the final signature to a good life. A good death is seen as the acceptance of human mortality and the recognition of human weakness. As a medical doctor, I've seen a fair share of death. As a resident, my job was to feel for a pulse, listen for breath sounds, and pronounce the time of death. But this was not the real palliative care. The real care was when I sat next to and listened to a dying AIDS or cancer patient reflect on their life. The synergy or entourage effect of the plant represents a complexity that may confuse pharmacologists, but cannabis is more than THC or CBD. As a physician, I think cannabis is perfect for the end of life. I may not be able to appropriately prescribe cannabis for palliative care, but I certainly recommend it. Cannabis addresses more than pain, mood, appetite, or sleep. It brings up social, psychological, and spiritual considerations that are missed by magic bullet pharmaceuticals. Most of all, cannabis creates community, which is the right approach to palliative care. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you, Dr. Talleyrand. Uh, I, I experienced a beautiful death this week, the death of my father, and he was, uh, my sister and I were in the room with him, holding his hand, uh, singing songs to him, reading his poems, and it is so important to have a peaceful, beautiful death. Thank you for that, and thank you, everyone, for all of the um, thoughts and prayers and kind words. Um, but we have reached the top of the hour. It was a really great show. It really was. Was. I hope uh, you guys can share the podcast because it's a great show and our podcasts are taking off. Thank you so much. If you missed any of the show, it's on the podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day, bringing us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show. It means so much to me. And Liz, your input and being our pinup girl is really important. And audience, you too. I mean, you're here. We, we had people come up from the audience today that are part of the, the story that give us so much depth. It's really important. Y'all have had your daily dose. You've had your weekly dose. Now go out there and make a difference and have a great weekend. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. And happy Father's Day to all the dope dads out there. <laughs> Amen. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> love your happy dad, everyone. Send dope love dad. to your dads. Yes. Yes, indeed. Bye. Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you, too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it. 
today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.